Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. The Super Bowl never fails to disappoint on the movie trailer front, and we got some huge trailers this year. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I saw a couple of movies this week, including a box office bomb. I'll let you know if Argyle is as bad as its reputation. Plus, speaking of potential box office bombs, there's one out this week that has flop written all over it. But let's begin with the Super Bowl trailers. There were rumors, there were whispers that we would finally get our first look, and we got it! Deadpool and Wolverine! Get your special sock out, nerds. It's gonna get good. Your little cinematic universe is about to change forever. Deadpool and a Wolverine. This just feels right. All right, so what we got at the Super Bowl for Deadpool and Wolverine was just a 30 second teaser, but at point, like all of these things, they always say full trailer is available online now. We're not spending the money to rare the whole thing during the Super Bowl. Well, it was like $7 million for 30 seconds. Oh, exactly. So uh, that's pretty crazy. But, and they, they often even refer to it as the big game spot. Like if you go looking for it online, oh, they don't really? even brand it as Super Bowl. I guess they gotta pay for that as well. Yeah. But uh, in case, just a quick recap: Deadpool, of course, is a Marvel superhero, but he's from the 20th Century Fox realm. So we had a couple of Deadpool movies that were rated R, hard R, super violent, fully obscene, and the big question. One of the big questions was when Disney bought 20th Century Fox is will they do a Deadpool movie and will it be rated R? And this one is good. Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool, Hugh Jackman back as Wolverine. We don't actually see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Well, we kind of do. We see his shadow and then we see him from behind for like half a second before he proceeds to presumably stab. Yellow suit? Yeah. That's cool. I also like, well, Wolverine, of course, outside of Deadpool, is one of the very, very few uh, Marvel characters to utter the F word on screen already. So it oh, makes yeah. sense that it'll be in this, because uh, Captain America's not about to do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, this is a movie, the, the, in the trailer, He because part of what Deadpool does is he breaks the fourth wall all the time, so he'll look at the camera. It's very meta. He acknowledges things that are happening in the real world. He refers to Ryan Reynolds. He uh, There's even a scene in one of his movies where he they go back to the X-Men Origins Wolverine. I think in Deadpool 2, where they go back to the X-Men Origins Wolverine movie where he was in that as Deadpool but not as the comic book version and then he shoots him in that. So there's all kinds of meta and lots of playful winks to the audience, and in the full trailer, he refers to himself as the Messiah, as Marvel Jesus, because the, the <laughs> some are saying they need Deadpool yeah. to save the MCU. So, I don't know. What do you think, Jeff? Uh, I am excited about this one. I don't know that it saves the MCU in the ways that people hope that it will, but I, I am excited for this one, but I would also say... I have not gone back to rewatch any of those Deadpool movies. I've maybe seen the first one twice. I've only mm. seen the second one the one time in theaters, and I've never been sitting at home thinking, man, I would like to watch those Deadpool movies again. Now, I probably will watch them both again before this comes out. That's 
just how we operate as nerds that we are. But yeah. but as fun as they are, I, I, these movies don't have me coming back all the time like a lot of the other superhero movies do. I fully agree. That first Deadpool movie, I enjoyed it. I, I saw it on the big screen. I, saw, I think I watched it once at home. The problem with that first Deadpool movie is it's kind of all over the map in terms of its tone. Like there's a, a chunk in the middle where it gets really dark. And that's fine. It's part of the story, but it gets so dark and even kind of slow, I think. And the second Deadpool was fun, but it was a little messy in comparison to the first one. But nonetheless, I love the character and the fact that Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman, who are real-life good friends, and the fact that Hugh Jackman gets to be in the MCU yeah. is cool. It is cool. So very excited about Deadpool and Wolverine. And that comes out in July this next one caught me by surprise. I, I knew it was coming, but I wasn't expecting a teaser for this during the Super Bowl. Twisters! It's Tyler Owens. He calls himself the Tornado Wrangler. If you feel it, chase it! I said, if you feel it, chase it! All right, so, of course, the first Twister came out back in 1996, and this one, they're not calling it a sequel, nor are they calling it a remake. They're calling it an update. Okay, what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> it basically looks like, the, it essentially looks like the exact same story. Yeah. It's about this scientist who's trying to get, who's trying to do, like, the whole dot thing where they, they, they send those little flying things into the tornado to... Yeah, that's in the trailer, right? Yeah, yep. but... Where there is also, you heard in there, the Tornado Wrangler. So they've got this rival Storm Chaser, very much like in the first movie. In this one, he's played by Glenn Powell, who's clearly having a moment. You know, he was in yeah. that Anyone But You movie. Yeah. And, uh, it was the, the best part of that movie, which I was not expecting for, yeah, like I said, pretty people usually aren't too terribly funny, but he was actually very funny. Yeah, he's, he's really talented. He was great. And uh, I think it was called Scream Queens on Fox. He played such a jerk. And Maverick. That's right, Top Gun Maverick. He was the hangman or the bagman, depending on which character. <laughs> so yeah, he's uh, he's clearly his star is clearly rising. But in this one, whereas in the first movie, the the tornado chasers and the storm chasers hated each other, like it was Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt yep. and their team against Carrie Elwes, right? And he they hated each other, never worked together. In this one, they come together. And, and I don't so who knows the 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 effects look cool like so realistic the first movie still holds up and looks great but this looks completely photorealistic and I as silly as it that first movie is I kind of miss weather related like it was fun big blockbuster disaster the movies. disaster movies of the 90s were always fun for us so we can always go back and watch them I guess so Twisters comes out also in July Deadpool and Wolverine is July 26th Twisters is July 19th and we got a full trailer as well on Super Sunday for this <gasps> In their time, humans were capable of many great things. They could fly like eagles fly. They could speak across oceans. Thank you. 
Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. You must be excited for this. I am excited. I like these movies. I, I didn't know until a few weeks ago they were even making a fourth one. I thought they had a trilogy, and I thought that would be it. But why not? Planet of the Apes, you can keep going and going, and they keep evolving, like we said. Like, from the first one, you know, it was a human world with one monkey that got smart and blah, 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 whatever. I can't even remember what happened in that thing. But, uh, yeah, and now we're at a point where the humans have been reduced to, like, uh, feral beings living in the jungle and the monkeys rule the planet uh but as we heard in the clip there they of course don't have the technology that we possess today but looks like they're slowly slowly getting there so if it ends with a bunch of monkeys working on computers i'll be very happy <laughs> <laughs> so that looks great that's coming out in may and there were there we don't we don't have time to go through the whole list yeah. like there was a, we saw another teaser for a quiet place day one which looks fantastic got our first look at wicked which is going to be part one of two of uh, based on the book Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West, which of course came to, became a Tony Award winning musical in 2003. So part one is out in November and then part two is out in November of next year. So that's the Super Bowl trailers. And I'll just quickly mention this. I mentioned movies out this week. One of them has flop written all over it. There were actually two movies this week that open on Wednesday on Valentine's Day, starting with Madam Webb. I can see the future. Ezekiel Sims. He's got these crazy powers. I'm more interested in why he's trying to kill us. In the future, those girls are going to destroy me. If you want to live, you have to trust me. Get down! Madam Web, coming soon, exclusively in cinemas. So this is part of Sony's world of Spider-Man movies, and Dakota Johnson plays Madam Web. She's a person who can see into the future. She has some sort of spider powers, and she's trying to stop this bad spider guy who's trying to kill these other three women, including Sydney Sweeney, who was in also in that Anyone But You movie. Oh, yeah. And uh, they, because they are all going to develop some sort of spider powers, and they're going to eventually kill him. I don't know. Anyway, Dakota Johnson is apparently really good in this. But for the most part, the like it's at fifteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I've read some absolutely scathing reviews, and even the positive ones say it's okay. It's it, but it feels more like a movie that, like a superhero movie that would have come out in two thousand three. Oh, I see. Before it became a yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like uh, <laughs> like because the Spider Man movies were excellent when they first came out, but yeah. all the, most of the other ones were okay. Yeah, the, 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 Fantastic Four. First couple of X Men's were good. Right. Uh, so that's one of the movies out this week that's not, and it's projecting like 18 to $28 million for its opening box office for a superhero movie. That sucks. Wait until that's available at home to watch, I think. Yeah. Also out this week, Bob Marley, One Love. Try it again. Make it a little less psychedelic. Give me a one drop, man. All right. I want to make music to change the world. You want to start from the beginning? I ain't get a set list. No set list, man. It's like jazz. You dig? Yeah, man. I dig. Bob Marley, Radio PG 13. 
It looks all right, but it's at 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that was the second movie that came out on Valentine's Day. And then out this weekend is a movie called Land of Bad, starring Russell Crowe, Liam Hemsworth, and Luke Hemsworth. It's a special forces thing in the South Philippines. Looks okay. Crowe plays like a drone pilot, and he has to try to help guide his team. Get out after things go wrong. That's at 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. Up next, are we, in fact, the world? You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and I'm a little late to the game, but I watched that We Are the World documentary on Netflix this week, The Greatest Night in Pop. One, two. We are the world. We are the children. The greatest artists of a generation came together to save some lives. Must be in a dream. Huh? Hello, hello. But we only had one night to get this right. Let's get this party started. We'll start chopping wood. If we stop for a minute, this thing's going to be chaos. Again for me? I don't want to open a can of worms. From that moment on, I was nervous out of my brain. People didn't know what we were going to be doing. There's really no excuse. There's a full-on fight going on. What am I supposed to sing? The clock is ticking, and we had so many disasters coming. Man, are you kidding? <laughs> we Are the World is among the most 80s thing the 80s ever produced. Basically, if you weren't around at the time, it was a group of all-stars from the music world singing a charity song in 1985 to raise money for famine in Africa. And a lot of money was raised, and hopefully it did some good. Obviously, there's still a lot of hungry people in Africa and around the world. But it was a noble idea, and really the first big thing where celebrities thought they'd use their clout to get the word out about something. This documentary addresses that sort of thing to a certain extent, but it is primarily interested in the uh, mechanics involving the actual production of the song. There's a lot of old footage from the 80s when they actually recorded it, and there are some current-day interviews with some of the players involved, like Huey Lewis, most notably Lionel Richie, and most excitingly for me, Bruce Springsteen, because I love the boss so much. Richie, though, was one of the quarterbacks for the project, and he rightfully gets most of the screen time in the uh, current-day interviews for this documentary. Once the idea was drummed up, a lot of stuff had to happen very quickly. Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson had to write a worthy song, and all the artists involved had to get on board. Now, since they mostly wanted current hit artists, scheduling was going to be a nightmare because these people were at the peak of their careers, and frankly, they were scattered across the planet on their tours and that sort of thing. But someone realized kind of right away that the American Music Awards were coming up, and most of those people would be in L.A. for that for one night only, so they decided to record the song after the AMAs, which incidentally was a ceremony that was hosted by Lionel Richie. So he did both those things on the same day, which is just bonkers. And kudos to Richie for getting it done and by all accounts being in good spirits the whole time. Um, there's some great footage of Michael Jackson singing the song alone in the studio uh, early that evening. Everyone else was at the award ceremony. Michael Jackson did not go. I guess he had his monster year the year before with Thriller. 
So he laid down a bunch of stuff alone that they then used for the others to listen to and sing along to later when they showed up. After the AMAs, everyone did start showing up. My favorite was Springsteen because uh, everyone else showed up in limousines with drivers and entourages, that sort of thing. Springsteen parked his car down the street and just walked up by himself. Working class millionaire. He'd also just flown in from Buffalo that same day where his Born in the USA tour wrapped up the night before. Quincy Jones was producing the song and obviously had enough clout to get a room full of A-listers to shut up and do what he told them to. Al Jarreau was drunk. Bob Dylan seemed confused. Waylon Jennings left early. Cindy Lauper had so much jewelry on they had to stop recording and tell her to take it off because they could hear it clacking in the background while people were singing. <laughs> There's all sorts of little fun stories like that. And the fun of the doc really is watching them deal with these hurdles because uh, the clock kept running. People were getting very tired, like they started at 10 at night uh, and they were there until eight in the morning. Uh, Lionel Richie kept everyone's spirits up. If nothing else, this documentary gives you a newfound respect for him. I've always liked him quite a bit. Uh, Dancing on the Ceiling, one of the first albums I ever owned. There's a lot of great stuff here. Uh, I've only touched on it. If you're looking for 80s nostalgia, there is really nothing better. The only real knock I have against it is they don't actually show the music video for We Are the World that, you know, burned up MTV at the time. Uh, that would have made sense at the end, although I guess since that video is really just footage of them recording it, the whole doc is that thing, that same thing. So there you go. I highly recommend it. It's called The Greatest Night in Pop. It's available now on Netflix. Just very quickly, did you notice Bruce Springsteen on Curb Enthusiasm? I did see it. I did uh, uh, various message boards I'm on. I knew it was coming before I got to watch it. So <laughs> I'm glad I got the warning because my jaw would have just dropped if I saw that. Up next, we have to celebrate a 50th anniversary and Jeff's got the word on whether or not Argyle is as bad as people are saying it is. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Jeff has a couple of movie reviews for you in a moment, but right now we just want to talk about how our friends at Global Television are celebrating this year 50 years in business. Take a look at this. This winter, Global's got it all. That's what I'm talking about. New laughs, challenges, oh my God. epic moments, Reporting a bridge collapse. and all new episodes. Survivor. NCIS. Yeah. CSI Vegas. 911. Fire Country. Abbott Elementary. Ghosts. I'm Elspeth Tassioli. Buzz Buzz. It's winter. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Global's got it all. So 50 years of global television. January 6th, 1974 at 6 p.m. is when the Global Television Network launched. And over the last 50 years, it has been home to some of the biggest shows in history, like Charlie's Angels and Dynasty, Beverly Hills 90210, The Love Boat, NCIS, Hawaii Five O. Jeff Braun and I like that. And then on the comedy side, you had hits like Cheers and Frasier and Mad About You and Married with Children, Seinfeld, Friends, and of course, The Simpsons and so many more. And other current hits like Survivor, which debuts season 46 on February 28th. And the news of the anniversary, the celebration of the anniversary comes this week because this week has been premiere week for Global because as you well know, due to the Hollywood strikes, they didn't have any of their scripted, their big scripted shows in the fall. They still had stuff like Survivor. But so on Monday, this past Monday, February 12th, NCIS Hawaii made its return on February 13th. FBI, FBI International, and FBI Most Wanted made their returns. Big Brother Canada came back. Abbott Elementary actually debuted 
uh, last week or a week and a half ago on February 7th, and you're all over that, right, Jeff? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that one. That's good Good stuff. They're off to a great start. Survivor, as mentioned, February 28th. Big Brother Canada comes back on March 6th. And then February 29th, this is interesting, Elsbeth. Uh, a lot of people are excited about this show. This was a quirky character from the Good Wife and the Good Fight shows. Uh, so now she's got her own show. 911 is back on March 14th. And Fire Country is back this week, actually, Friday, February 16th. And this was like the biggest new show out there uh, last season. And then Sunday, uh, February 18th, CSI Vegas. And there you go. So. Big week for Global. Happy to see them get all their big, big shows back as they celebrate 50 years of making awesome TV. And, you know, the landscape has changed so much in the last even five years. Uh, so to see shows like we've talked about this before, yep. that in spite of all of the various ways we can consume content now, that people will still turn to shows like Survivor, like in the millions, like three million people in Canada watch Survivor. That's wild. Yeah. That's almost 10%. Of the population, <laughs> yeah. That'd be like almost 30 million people yeah. watching it in the United States. Like, they don't, you don't get those kind of numbers in the States anymore uh, because we're so, uh, you know, there's just too much out there. But people will still turn to stuff like our friends at Global. All right. So with that out of the way, let's move from the small screen, Jeff, to the big screen. Yeah, it hasn't been getting good reviews or breaking records at the box office, but I went to see Argyle this week anyway. Listen up. Somehow, what you wrote in your Argyle series turned out to be real. And now every spy in the world is coming after us. I am a writer! I can't pull off a spy mission. I want all assets fixed on them now. We're gonna jump. What? Are you okay? I know how stressed you get with work. It's time for you to meet Agent Argyle. Argyle, Argyle. Argyle. Argyle has so far made just over $60 million, which is not great for a big-budget movie that's been out for a few weeks already. It's also at 32% on Rotten Tomatoes, and after seeing it, yeah, that stuff makes sense. It's not the worst movie of all time by any means, but there's not a lot there to get excited about. It's an action-comedy spy thriller, I guess, comes to us from Matthew Vaughn, who made the Kingsman movies. He made Stardust, which is a fantasy movie we both really liked about 15, almost 20 years ago. Um... Argyle stars, and I mean stars, Bryce Dallas Howard. She is not front and center on the poster. She was not the focus of most of the advertising, but she is the star of the movie. I guess Universal thought they'd put more butts in seats by focusing on Henry Cavill, which is, as it turns out, quite misleading. Howard plays Ellie, an author of a popular spy novel series called Argyle. That's the name of the agent she's created, who is visualized by Henry Cavill in scenes where people are reading from the book. So he's not real in the movie. He's a book character who pops in and out sporadically. Turns out Ellie's written some things in her books that are mirroring real life and a bunch of bad spies led by Brian Cranston are out together and out to save her is a good spy played by Sam Rockwell. That's the basic setup and then the plot just keeps on plotting Argyle may set the record for the most twists and turns I've ever seen in one single movie. Literally every five minutes, there was some major game-changing revelation to the point where I couldn't go to the bathroom because I was afraid I would miss something important and be lost. It's a lot, and the movie is almost two and a half hours long, which for this, uh, I think, is just insane. There's a lot going on visually. Like I said, the director is Matthew Vaughn. He made those Kingsman movies, so it sort of got that look, only the PG-13 version, not the R 
R-rated version. Uh, people still get shot, but there's just less blood when they fall to the ground. He takes a big swing in every aspect of this movie and did not really connect with a lot of it. Frankly, there's so much plot going on and everything keeps changing that it's hard to find something to care about because the stakes never stay the same. Every time, everything you think you know gets flipped upside down constantly. I love Bryce Dallas Howard. She's good here too, as are Sam Rockwell and Brian Canstern and Catherine O'Hara, but uh, good actors can't really save this one, I'm afraid. Uh, like I said, again, not the worst movie I've ever seen, not the best. Don't feel the need to rush out to the theater to see it. Wait for this one to come home. Two and a half couch cushions out of five for Argyle. And if you do plan to watch this eventually, do what you can to avoid spoilers. I made the mistake of watching a review of this online, oh. forgetting that this reviewer Spoil gives stuff. spoilers. Yeah. Like he, he will summarize the plot from start to finish and then give his <laughs> thoughts. And so sometimes I'll watch his reviews and then I'll like sort of skip ahead yeah, yeah. where he's just talking about them, what he thinks of the movie rather than, but there's <laughs> like the big one, yeah. the big reveal. And I blew it for myself. And that, <laughs> and I think that I would have enjoyed that had I watched this yeah. movie. And now that I'm never going to be able to forget that. So yeah, that's the problem. Well, your memory is better than mine. I'm dumb enough that it, like two years ago by and, <laughs> and I would forget and I'd watch it. Like, oh, okay. That's not bad. Um, that was one movie I saw this week. The other one was uh, my road to the Oscars continuing with a movie called American Fiction starring Jeffrey Wright. Books change people's lives. Something I've written never changed your life? Absolutely. My dining room table was wobbly as hell. Oh, my God. <laughs> Monk, your books are good, but they're not popular. I just want to rub their noses in it. What do you see in my brother? He's talented. Is it bad to cater to people's taste? At least she's not white again. Your wife was white. American Fiction. We did R. Now playing select theaters. American Fiction is up for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Jeffrey Wright, and Best Supporting Actor for Sterling K. Brown. And they're all deserving. I don't think they're frontrunners in any of the races, but I wouldn't be mad if one or two or all of them won. I will say up front, this movie feels more like a quote-unquote regular movie than I was expecting. I think there's a preconception with some Oscar movies that they'll be very arty and pretentious, and I think that keeps a lot of people away. If that sounds like you, it would be a mistake to not watch this one sometime. You don't need a race to a theater or anything. There's no big screen spectacle here, but also don't dismiss it as some arty little movie. The premise of the movie is fun. Jeffrey Wright plays an author who is not at all very popular, but a pretty good writer. He's written a book, but can't seem to get it published despite his agent's best effort. And he's disgusted by the fact that all these other authors are having great success with their so-called black books, wherein the stories and dialogue have all these awful stereotypes about black people and to prove that those books are dumb Jeffrey Wright writes one very quickly under a fake name as a joke, but the joke is on him, of course, when that book gets published and becomes a bestseller. So there are all these undercurrents about race relations, uh, but put out there, you know, in an entertaining way. It's a very funny movie at times, and even though, you know, that is the premise, it actually sort of takes a backseat to the story of Wright and his family. There's a death in the family, which reunites him and his mom and his brother, played by Sterling K. Brown. Uh, his brother is difficult, and his mom, sadly, is deteriorating. So his plate is pretty full, and he also falls in love with a neighbor lady. There's a whole romance romance subplot there as well. Um, the family just has a lot of baggage from the past that they're trying not to really deal with. And we, the audience, are sort of fed bits and pieces here and there. It's very effective storytelling. And then there's the ending. I won't get into it, obviously, but 
but it's going to frustrate some people, and I'll admit I was a little underwhelmed by it, but I think if I saw it again, I'd like it more. Some will say it's clever. Some will say it's a cop-out. I'm kind of medium on it. Overall, though, I thought it was a pretty great movie. I got wrapped up in it very quickly and really enjoyed myself. Jeffrey Wright, of course, is dynamite because he's always dynamite. That's not news. Like I said, he's not a front-runner for the Oscar this year, but... He would be deserving, and I'll be shocked if he never wins one. Uh, just might not be this year. American Fiction, meantime, is a great showcase for him. I'll give it four couch cushions out of five. It's been in and out of theaters the last few weeks, so you might have to hunt to find it if you do want to go see it in the theater before it comes to home video eventually. So is that nine of ten you've seen now? Nine of ten. I just need to see the zone of interest, and hopefully this week, but I've been having scheduling issues with that one. All right. Now, then the zone of interest has also been sort of in and out of different theaters. And I know that it's uh, here in Winnipeg, it's landing in Jeff's theater that he likes Landmark Cinema's Grant Park. So up next, I watched a movie this week that I wasn't really intending to watch, but I was slipping through streamers and thought, oh, there it is. Yeah. Well, I guess I should watch it. So I'll tell you what I thought. Next, you're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. I mentioned I watched a movie that I stumbled upon when I was sifting through the streamers trying to figure out what to watch. And I thought, I never saw that in the theater. And I think Jeff did. And I think he thought it was all right. So I decided to check out on Disney Plus, The Marvels. Captain Marvel. You ever come in here with good news? Hold that thought. The Marvels is now streaming only on Disney Plus. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Grab your family. And experience the fun at home. Captain Marvel is in our house. One, two, three, go. Hold on for an action-packed ride. We make a good team, but I'm not taking the cat. The Marvels. The much maligned The Marvels, starring Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. 62% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's just an abysmal $84 million domestic, $206 million worldwide. For lots of movies, that would be miraculous. But for a Marvel movie that costs like $300 million to make, that is awful. You did see it, right, Jeff? I did see it. I, I like the first Captain Marvel, and I like the TV show The Mrs. Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was on board. I, I went and I enjoyed it, and it's not the best movie that they've done, but I didn't mind it. Yeah, and you know what? That's kind of where I'm at, and I think I am... Well, it had some cool visuals. I am glad I didn't go see it in the theater, because when you go to see a Marvel movie in a theater, that comes with expectations. So uh, watching how the whole thing played out... I just went in thinking, well, it's not even two hours. It looks kind of fun. Just watch it. No, ex Just no expectations and see what happens. And yeah, I mean, it was fine. I had fun. And Brie Larson actually looked like she was having fun. So I thought that was good. I think it's the first time I've seen her in this role where she really seemed like she was enjoying herself even more so than the first movie, I think, at least. Uh, but Iman Vellani, the Canadian actor who plays Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Ms. Marvel. She was definitely having fun. She was absolutely terrific and stole every scene she was in without being annoying. Tiona Paris as Monica Rambeau feels a bit like a third wheel. And that's those are the three. Those are the Marvels. So they all have light-based powers. And through a complicated web of plot devices, they end up interconnected. So if they're using their powers at the same time, they like switch places no matter where they are in the galaxy. So that's kind of a confusing thing for them to figure out, but they figure it out and they can actually use it 
to their advantage. And Captain Marvel is like the most powerful hero in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, basically. She can fly through space and she's super strong and she shoots laser beams or light beams or plasma beams or whatever. She just shoots energy. Whereas Monica Rambeau, she like sort of absorbs light and she can make herself sort of like not invisible, but like things just go past through her. She essentially just becomes light. Like the the T-1000 and T-2. Yeah, there you go. But not metal. And Ms. Marvel can sort of create shapes of light and like make her, her like make a giant light shaped fist. She's got some neat powers. So anyway, here's the problem. They don't do a good enough job at introducing us to either Monica or Ms. Marvel in this movie. At least for those who have not seen WandaVision or Ms. Marvel on Disney Plus. I think they did a really bad job. I have seen those shows, so I didn't need an introduction. Plot holes here. Plot holes there. No explanation here. Why is that there? I don't know. How does the villain Darben get her hands on Ronan the Accuser's hammer? Didn't the Guardians of the Galaxy destroy it? Oh, it turns out it's not the same hammer. It's just a Kree Warhammer used by the Accusers. Well, they could have explained that in one line rather than having me be distracted by it for the whole movie. <laughs> and then, it, like, is Captain Marvel a war criminal? Based on what she does to the Kree planet, when we learn what she... That at the end of Captain Marvel, she said she was coming. And we finally learn what happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, she basically tried to commit genocide. Yeah. Not, not, not intentionally, <laughs> but... Yeah, so that's no good. And the whole cats thing, or the flurgan, the space cats who I like the cats. Lots. You don't like the cats? You like the cats? Uh, I thought it was, it was silly in a way I enjoyed. Uh, I just felt so... I, I don't know. I Look, I mean, in the end, I still managed to have fun. I even enjoyed the scene where they visit the planet that only communicates in song. When you met reference that they did that, I thought, that sounds stupid. I thought I would hate it, but I didn't. Yeah. I quite liked it. And Brie Larson is, like, she actually has released songs, so she's a competent singer. And as I mentioned, it comes in under two hours, which is nice. I am guessing they cut out a lot of stuff because I found there was a lot of stuff that didn't really make sense, but I didn't care enough to worry about it. Overall, it's a mess, but it's a mildly fun mess. Three couch cushions out of five for the Marvels, which is now on Disney Plus. If you want to check that out, and that's it. Oh, you just right drained right, just drained it right out of you. <laughs> You've got nothing else. You just, you ended that on such a sad note. I was like, is he okay? <laughs> That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.